0: Hello and welcome to Al Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. Our goal at Al Pellets is to help agriculture teachers like you find research-based solutions to the problems you face every day in the high school classroom and as you advise your FFA chapter. Here you will find practical tips for your agricultural classroom and interesting information to incorporate into your teaching. We invite the best agricultural education faculty and researchers from around the country to come and talk with us and share what they have learned. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from Oklahoma State University, and me, Brian Myers from the University of Florida. For more information on Owl Pellets, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and visit our webpage at owlpelletsforag.wordpress.com. That's owlpelletsforag, all one word, Hello, Owl Pellets. Welcome back. Uh, We are excited today. It is Brian and Kate here with our guest here by the Owl Pellet. Marshall is MIA somewhere, who knows where.
1: I'm sure he's doing really studious, important, life-changing, impactful things.
0: He he is changing lives wherever he is right now. Uh, Kate is dedicated. She is here on her spring break. Thank you, Kate, for being here and I'm still here working for the University of Florida, so I had to show up. Anyway, (laughs) today our guests are from the great state of Oregon, Oregon State University, Jonathan Velez, Haley Clement. Thank you guys so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you, it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So, to kind of get us started, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about who you guys are, and then we'll talk about uh, the topic for today.
3: Sounds good. Hi everyone, my name's Haley Clement, I'm a second-year PhD student here at Oregon State University, originally from California, small town of Paso Robles, Um, but I was a high school ag teacher prior to getting my PhD, so thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
2: I'm Jonathan Velez. I'm currently an associate professor here at Oregon State University, former high school agriculture teacher here in the state of Oregon, Um, and I've been here at Oregon State now for about 10 years, focusing primarily on agricultural education as well as leadership education. It's good to be with you.
0: Outstanding, thanks guys. Really do appreciate you here. We are, see we have shown that owl pellets is coast to coast. I don't think it is physically possible for us to be further away from each other from Florida to Oregon State. I don't know, maybe Washington State, maybe a little bit further, but that'd be a, that'd be about it. So um, we are glad the guys have you here. So give
2: us a quick rundown. What are we gonna be talking about today? We're gonna be talking about a, a piece of research that Haley and I did here uh, about a year and a half ago we looked at a, a national data set. So we looked at a really large study that had been um, had been conducted by the National Center for Educational Statistics. It's a big term, but it essentially means it's a, a sample that's representative um, of high school students. So what we wanted to look at is we really wanted to answer the question, what is the involvement levels of students in school-based ag education? And are they, are they representative um, based on the proportions of students we would see that have that ethnicity within those schools? So we wanted to say, if we have uh, 20% um, Hispanic students in the school, would we, would, would we see that same number and same percentages reflected in school-based ag education programs, as well as uh, being uh, participating in clubs and being involved as officers? So we really wanted to answer that question. Up to this point, we hadn't had the chance to really look at that, and there hasn't been any national data uh, on that question.
3: An additional um, aspect of the study is we wanted to look at kind of some long-term outcomes of being involved in school-based ag education, which we don't really have a whole lot of in, in the research base. So one of our questions was, does the level of your participation in ag and in, and in FFA impact your future income? So we were able to get some income data, I think, seven years after they graduated high school. And just comparing uh, based on their involvement in ag, in FFA, and if they were an officer in FFA.
0: Very cool. So you, I mean, you guys got down to the big stuff, dollars and <laughs> cents, how much they're making. Um,
1: and that would be some really cool info for like stakeholder groups, right? Parents, because I'm thinking about when I was teaching and how many parents were like, no, my kid's not going to be a farmer, so they're not going to be in ag. We actually want them to be successful. And it hurt my heart. <laughs> Um, but man, that's some really helpful data. If it turned out in our favor, did it? Da, da, da.
3: <laughs>
0: we will see. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this guy. giving us the cliffhanger. <laughs> no, we'll start here. We'll, we'll, we'll save the big one for later. Ethnicity. What we find. What do you guys find out? How are we doing um, in our school-based ag ed programs along the, the lines of ethnicity?
2: Yeah, so that's a a good question to to start us off before Haley talks about the the ethnicity a little bit. You know, we looked at some national FFA data. So a lot of people would say, hey, just look at what national FFA has to offer. They'll let you know who's enrolled. Um, But the the surprising thing is that a lot of their data is is missing. So they have around, when they report gender, around 25%, actually about 27% of their their participants or respondents didn't indicate a gender the same with ethnicity. They have about 40% of their national data that doesn't say uh, what the ethnicity is of students that are enrolled in, in FFA. So while that's a, an interesting first source to start, we realized that wouldn't necessarily answer our question. So we had to look at, look at this other national data set.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think that's really important Before and again, more cliffhanger stuff. I think it's cool for us to remember we're talking about school-based ag ed enrollment, right? We're not talking about FFA membership here. And I think that's pretty important. I mean, we just had the conversation that today Hear about that idea of the difference, and sadly, the difference here in Florida there's over 70,000 students that enroll in a school based ag ed program, and yet that's in and only about 18 and 19,000 of those are enrolled are members of FFA, hmm. and that's a huge number. But there's we're not meeting the potential, and so we're here talking about do we just pass a legislative thing and pay for everybody's FFA membership to make them a member? Well. We can talk about affiliate membership later on another critical conversation <laughs> no,
1: that is on a the answer.
0: difference there. Do we just magically make those uh, 50,000 students FFA members? And how does that just magically change their lives? Yeah. But we're talking about school-based ag and enrollment. So, Haley, what do right. you think
3: know? about? So, I think we can make... One statement um, to start us off with, with kind of the key indicators when we look at ethnicity and participation in school-based ag ed, compared to students who are not in school-based ag ed. And is that there's some distinct disconnections between the ethnic groups that are enrolling in ag, but also participating in vocational clubs um, that are a part of ag, and then students who are actually serving as officers within um, those clubs. And when we talk about those clubs, we're going to use the term FFA, just because we know that um, students who are enrolled in in ag and in a vocational club, they're likely to be FFA members. But we actually compared all of those numbers to students who are not in ag, but they identified that they are involved in some sort of vocational club. Because they're not in ag, we do know that that vocational club is not FFA. So we can make a few comparisons there, which is nice. And we found some interesting stuff. So we looked at um, three distinct groups, ethnic groups black students, Hispanic students, and white students. And we compare like females and males um, within each of those ethnic groups. We found some interesting findings. Uh, First, with the black students, um, we noticed that black males are highly involved in non ag vocational clubs that are not FFA. Um, but when it comes to FFA, that enrollment and participation is way down. So there's some sort of discrepancy there. What is it about those non-ag vocational clubs that is attracting black males?
1: So can you give me an example of a non-ag vocational club? Would that be like FCCLA or like? I'm just trying to think about what those would be.
3: Yeah. So on the survey that the students filled out, there was a few examples. One was Skills USA. Um, DECA, and FCCLA. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and I'm sure there are a few more of them um, across the country. Um, Another thing that's interesting about the black males though, is that once they're actually in ag and participating in FFA, their likelihood to be an officer goes way up. So once they're in the the game, they're more likely to become an officer. Why is that? (laughs) We don't know. Unfortunately, we didn't ask those questions, but Something interesting to think about. Uh, when we look at females, black females, they are participating in all vocational clubs at high rates. So both AG and non-AG vocational clubs so FFA, DECA, Skills USA they're involved. but they're not becoming officers in FFA. They are becoming officers in those other clubs, though. So again, what's the difference there?
0: Uh, All right. let's talk about that for a minute yeah guys, what do you guys think going away from you guys saw the numbers let's let's just let's ponder on this a little bit what do we think's going on so if i got this looking at this thing we're talking just about the the black students
2: mm-hmm.
0: on your study they're they're not joining the ag clubs the ffa in, in in strong numbers but those males that do join ffa have a higher likelihood of becoming officers so we're seeing those taking leadership roles. Right, but we're not seeing that with the black females. Any any indications? Any thoughts on what may be happening there?
2: Yeah, well, one of the things we're going to mention here when we when we continue looking at ethnicity, when we get into the to to white females, I think you're going to see some some uh, some trends there that may connect with the lower percentage, lower participation percentage of black uh, females in officer roles. So I think there's, there's an effect there that we'll see.
1: I'm really curious as to what that is, because if, if we show this video, those of you that are, that are listening, it's kind of funny because um, we try so hard to like not put our own opinion in when we're talking about research. And when Brian asked them to, they both looked at each other. Haley and Jonathan looked at each other like, well, let's do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny
1: to see that. So I'm, I'm curious about what your all's thoughts and ideas are too. So what, tell us about the white students. Yeah.
3: So when we look at like the white students, both males and females, we're seeing that they're highly um, involved in ag ag classes. So the enrollment is actually higher than um, what you would expect to see at the high school rate. Um, For males, their participation in FFA is lower. But again, when we see once they're actually involved in FFA, their chapter officer likelihood um, goes up. When we look at females though, this is the interesting thing. Um, white females are enrolled in ag. They're involved in FFA, but the percent goes way up when we talk about their, um, their uh, when they assume an officer role. In fact, 90% of females who are officers are white. So we see some discrepancies there, even when we look at our Hispanic students too. We actually didn't have a single Hispanic female um, in the sample who said that they were an officer in an ag vocational club.
2: So when Haley talks about 90% uh, that would be that we would expect to see around 73% of the female officers would be white. But what we're seeing is over 90% of the female officers are white. So Brian, this goes back to your earlier question about about, uh, maybe some of the African American females not being involved. I think you're seeing a lot of that, opportunities to be involved um, are are already filled and occupied by by white females
1: but then what about the other what about the black males where are they finding spots if the okay so this is kind of anecdotal that i've heard previously and i'm just it's going around in my head as we talk about this conversation about the notion um some research showed that if females were were um competing males wouldn't even compete so I'm trying to figure out where, I don't know, the difference between those roles being taken by white females. So where are the black males finding an opportunity to jump in and lead, whereas the, the black females are not?
2: Yeah, and the, the data that we use in this study doesn't really allow us to really to, to make that determination. I mean, it, it kind of sets a baseline and lets us know what is going on out there. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really address the why question. We're going to have to dig back a little a little deeper and maybe do some qualitative research, some other studies to try to figure out why we're seeing what we're seeing. But it does present us the first picture that I've seen since I've been in the profession as to exactly what's going on out there in terms of their um, ethnicity distributions sure. um, school-based ag education.
0: So, Ms. alarm you guys said – 90% of the office, FSA officer positions that were held by a female was held by a white female. Correct. So what correct. percentage of officer positions were held by a female? I... Do, you, do you ballpark remember that? because.
2: Well, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not a determination of which officer positions uh, were held by females. We weren't able to drill down to that, to that level, meaning that, you look, like, you look like you have a follow-up question, Brian. No, it's just, I mean, so it's just not
0: which particular positions, but what I'm saying is, so, so it was like of all the officer positions, did you, did you have the numbers to say 60% of these were female and 40% were male or, or whatever else overall? Because I'm trying to figure out of, of what the, the white females were making 90% up of what portion
2: of all the officers. Right, right, of, of females okay in the in, in sample okay so
3: of the females who identified as an officer 90 percent of them were white
2: okay cool
3: yeah
0: so i mean that's pretty uh pretty big chunk there
3: right and it makes you start considering some other questions like who are we serving in in ag and an ffa who are we not serving or what is it about the position or the opportunity of being an officer that is attracting white females? Or look at the other way, like what are the barriers of some of these other students that's That's preventing them from assuming these roles?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe not what about them makes them want to jump in, but what as an ag teacher, how am I identifying who I want to recruit for those leadership positions? And what maybe might I be missing from my kind of overall broad array of students as far as their, their diversity in a, in a wide variety of places. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's really a look at who's participating uh, in, in, the, in the club and then also who's assuming officer roles. And it's that discrepancy between the participation and the officer roles that I think uh, is something we should consider as, as ag teachers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting stuff here. Something for us to be thinking about, because I I always know one of the big topics we always talk about, and it comes up in ag teacher conferences or whenever I taught the program planning class here, is how, as an FFA, off, FFA, FFA advisor, how does your chapter elect officers?
1: Right, you like know, a the pro- process or...
0: Yeah, what's the process for that and those sort of things. And so I, I think it would be interesting. I mean, as an ag teacher, I never went back and, and really measured or, or really wrote down and looked at what the demographics were of, of my officers in my chapter. I probably should have. Um, but I think it's something that we may we may need to look at, not saying we're having to have certain numbers, but just to, to see what's happening in our officer elections that we're having here at the chapter level.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe, I mean, that's where ag teachers should focus, right? But maybe at the state and national levels too. I'm always curious about those processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Are we ready? Got, before we
2: get to the big one, I'm ready.
1: <laughs> All right.
2: I'll give you some results and I'll also give you a teaser for maybe a future owl pellets I don't know
0: Ooh, look at this guy I love this there, guy he's awesome there, there is another we, we invite him onto one owl pellets he's already inviting himself onto another one uh-huh.
1: this is
2: how cool it
0: is okay. to be an owl pellet
1: I he sent Marshall somewhere he was like Marshall there's a thing over there he's just gonna <laughs> slowly work his way in if
2: you go coast to coast this is what you get so <laughs> There, there is another research article out there that would love to have another future Al Pellet session on where we, where we um, control for some factors and we look at income. But what we did in this is we looked at income according to participation. So we looked at males and females, and then we looked at their income whether they were enrolled in school-based ag, and then they also whether they participated in vocational club or assumed an officer role. And then we also looked if they were not enrolled. So we the same type of a study um, just looked at the the broad. Um, income figures so what we what we determined was for males that were not enrolled in school-based ag education they tend to make and they currently if they were officers they tend to make more money than those males that are enrolled in school-based ag that assume officer roles
1: wait wait could you and this is all gender all um ethnicities right
2: so we're we we're split now we're talking just gender so we're not looking at the ethnicity this would be combined ethnicities So when you look at the males not enrolled and the males enrolled, um, those that are not enrolled, as they assume into higher ranks and become officers, they actually make more money um, than those male students enrolled in school-based ag education.
1: So wait, those that were not enrolled make more money than those that are enrolled?
2: Correct. When they assume assume officer roles. So by the time they get clear to the top, so if you look at officers that are in school-based ag ed and officers. that are not enrolled in school-based ag ed, they're both involved in vocational type clubs. The ones that are in school-based ag education will make less money.
1: So when you say officer roles, you mean like, like typical, what?
2: Typical chapter officer roles that we okay. would,
1: would know, okay.
2: president, vice president, things like that.
1: So the president of FFA will eventually make less money than the president of FCCLA?
2: Correct. Ooh. According to what we according to what we were able to determine.
1: Brian, are we sure we want to publish this thing? know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's find so, th- facts that, that support our
0: preconceived notions.
1: I know, right? That's how science works, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> just kidding, we're <world>. all just kidding.
2: <laughs> so so let me let me go back and make it a little more rosier for you. How's that? Okay. So when you look at the trend line, when you look at those that were enrolled, those that participated, and those that were officers. I mentioned that officers, there was, a, there was a disadvantage to being enrolled in school-based ag education. If you, look at, if you look at those that were enrolled and those that just participated, so the lower levels, we see very similar results in terms of uh, income after six years after graduation. So th- those are very, very similar. The discrepancy we see maximized is when we look at that officer role.
1: Okay, so we make no difference, good or bad, if they're just participants, but if they're officers, why? That's where we see a difference. What can we do? What are your all's thoughts?
0: (laughs) We're asking them to think,
1: oh! Well, I'm sure they've had like, I I would love to have been a fly on the wall as you guys got these results and saw this.
2: (laughs) Well, and the neat thing is that, that these results are part of a national study and we just hadn't looked at anything like this before. Um, it's a longitudinal study so it's actually been tracking students you know from when it started to when it stopped it would track students for around between 12 and 13 years so you know it's a multi-million dollar study looking at you know 50 states and the district of columbia and um, it was quite quite intensive so we enjoyed getting our hands on this on the data so that we could look at this Um, but we weren't really sure as to why there is a the other article that I mentioned we do some regressions which is a, a fancy way we can control for some additional variables so we just looked at income there's other variables at play here and we split it by gender some other variables are ethnicity which we talked about earlier um, as well as socioeconomic status and so in that other paper we control for those and really dig a little deeper into into overall income um, we just wanted to, to display it in this particular piece of research and break it out by participation levels.
1: And he's not going to tell us the results of that. He's not. I'm going to have to go read the data.
2: (laughs) It's a good one. It's a good one.
1: (laughs) I'm hooked. I mean, I'm going to have to go look at it. I'm hooked.
2: So I didn't talk, I didn't, that covered the males, but I didn't talk at all about the females. So females, it's actually, it's actually a a little different trend. So for females not enrolled in school-based ag education, as they participate in vocational clubs, the more they participate, the less money they make. So the trend line goes down. So the, the, the more they participate, the less money they make. So if they're an officer, not in school-based ag education,
3: okay.
2: involved in a vocational club, they make less money than a female who is, who is not enrolled in school-based ag education and not involved in a vocational club. So the more they're involved, the less money they make. Which is interesting.
3: That's so weird.
2: Now, that trend is reversed for the females. So keep in mind what we, what we talked about earlier about the numbers of females that are involved in officer roles. Keep that in the back of your head and see if it connects with the, with the income. So when we look at females enrolled in school-based ag education, that trend is reversed. So the more involved they are and the more they participate, the higher their income.
1: There's the happy ending I was looking.
2: So so there, there there's a happy ending. So when you wanna when you want this'll this'll help you, this'll help you out, Kate. When you look <laughs> at females enrolled in school based ag education and you compare those those that assume officer positions, right? And you look at those that are not enrolled in school based ag education and assume officer positions, it's roughly around a ten thousand dollar a year annual difference.
1: Wow so that's where you're
2: seeing a significant gain for those female students who are in school-based ag education that assume officer roles. So it's possible when you look back at Brian's earlier question, that some of the females involved in, in FFA have figured this out and they've realized that there is a significant benefit for them financially to uh, attain these roles. Therefore, they may be more competitive, therefore they may tend to uh, maybe tend to push some of the other uh, um, their male counterparts out of those officer roles. But we're seeing a, a, a stronger benefit for the females. Now, overall, there's still an income income deficit for the females compared to their male counterparts overall. But you're seeing a greater increase by those females that assume officer roles and are in school-based ag education.
1: So there's what I can tell my principal or my students' parents, my, my female students' parents. Yes, mm-hmm. tell them
2: it's about a $10,000 a year annual income difference for those females that participate in your ag class and go on to assume officer positions.
1: Awesome we should put that on the infographic so everybody can print it off for their uh, yeah. so guys look at what was what was um, put up on the website yesterday that will be the infographic that will have the information that you can share with your administrators and counselors as they're looking at um, programs for their students to enroll in.
0: Excellent okay Jonathan Haley as we wrap this thing up you've done a lot of stuff at us here what what do you think are the is the big one or two take-home messages here that us ag teachers need to share when we're talking about our programs from your study here
2: ffa makes a positive difference in the lives of students but what we need to look at is are all students attaining that and seeing those same positive benefits we see it with female students clearly in terms of income um, but are, are we seeing it across the board and when we look at ethnicities are we seeing the same same types of students in our ag classes that are representative of the high schools.
3: And I think it's just a nice point to ask yourself some of those critical questions. You know, what are we doing to provide opportunities and activities that can reach all students? And I think asking those questions is a great start to just looking at your program and identifying how we can give as many students as possible the great experience that we know is ag education. Excellent. Thanks, you all,
0: Jonathan Haley. Thank you so much for being with us here today on Owl Pellets. We appreciate you guys sharing the great research. Jonathan, give us the teaser on the other the other information that so he can invite himself back to Owl. Pellets. <laughs> this, this is the first time it's ever happened that people have invited themselves back on Owl Pellets, and so that just tells you how cool we are. Um, <laughs> Y'all out of Oregon State, thank you so much. You guys are doing great work out there. We appreciate everything that's going on.
1: That was easily the most I'm going to learn on spring break. So thanks, you all. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're welcome, Kate.
1: <laughs> so
0: outpost, check out the infographics. Check out the resources that should be showing up on things tomorrow on social media. Check out the folks at Oregon State. They're doing great things. Um, for the absent Marshall, we keep taking attendance on Marshall. Uh, here by the owl pellet is kate on spring break being here anyway and brian me here doing what we do every day thank you guys very much keep doing a great job teaching agriculture you all make a difference see ya the university of florida's department of agricultural education and communication offers graduate certificates to expand your professional experience in agriculture and natural resources Our certificates are designed for both non-degree-seeking students and those pursuing advanced degrees anywhere in the world. If you are interested in refining your teaching or leadership skills to make a greater impact on the world, our certificate programs are a great place to start. AEC is proud to empower agriculturalists who will become the next educators, the next communicators, and the next leaders for the Gator good. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate and Marshall, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thanks and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets. Tips for Aggie